Live today. We are in a study of the book of John, and we've been in John chapter 5 now for quite a few weeks. And um, the idea of John chapter 5, the, the whole context of the whole chapter, is John healing a man um, who had been crippled for 38 years. Now, that's not the issue that Jesus healed somebody. The issue is that Jesus did it on the Sabbath. And uh, in Jesus' time, uh, you don't do that. that that's a no-no. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were really bent out of shape at this. And, and the thing is, Jesus didn't do it once. He, he did it a number of times. He was like, I'm going to heal people on the Sabbath. And it really got the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, worked up. And um, they got to a point where even in, in John chapter 5, they began to persecute Jesus. They, they went after him. They, they were like, okay, we're not letting this guy continue this. And they, they, they got after Jesus. And, um, you know, if there was one group of people that really got under Jesus' skin, if there was one group of people, one type of person that really got Jesus aggravated, frustrated, righteous anger brewing, it was the Pharisees. It was not, the prostitutes didn't get Jesus mad. The conniving, stealing, thieving tax collectors didn't get Jesus really riled up. The people who, who, who lacked faith, the people who were the adulterers, those were the people that Jesus did not get angry at. It was the people who had this pretentious religiousness about them but we're still sinners. Those were the people, the Pharisees, that got Jesus worked up. And even in John chapter 5, we see this, this, like, it's almost an anger that's brewing, but Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees because they're like going after Jesus about the fact that he healed on the Sabbath. And in verses 17 all the way through 47, it's, it's a dialogue. Actually, it's a, it's, it's a one-sided dialogue. It's Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And, and, I, and, and, and you know, we, we can only read it. I would love to have been there to just hear Jesus' tone. I don't think when he was describing um, and he was declaring some, last week we talked about the claims that Jesus made, I don't think he just spoke in a monotone voice and said, hey, well, here's some things about me. Oh, by the way, I'm God, and I'm the source of eternal life. And I don't think he spoke like that. I think of his like, oh, by the way, I am God. I am the source of life. And he's going into this conversation. And in the verses that we're looking at today, he's talking to these Pharisees, and he's just continuing to barrage them about who he is and what he's doing. Now, here's the thing. I need to set this message up with two verses from our text. The Pharisees got under Jesus' skin. He, was, he called them out. He was righteously angry at them. But how many of you know that Jesus still wanted these men saved? Because if you look at chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus says, he says, not that... The testimony I receive is from man. He says, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He's saying that to, to these religious hypocrites. And he's, he's looking at these Pharisees in the religious garb. And he's going off on them. But then he stops. He says, I'm saying these things 
so you can be saved. How many of you know that's the heart of Jesus to save people? Okay, we, all, we know that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, it says that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus wasn't like, okay, everybody's going to go to heaven, but you Pharisees, because I don't want you there. He's like, no, I'm saying this so you will be saved. Jesus wants people to be saved. But here's the problem. Just like today with these Pharisees, that didn't happen, though. Because if you look at verse 39... And I'm going to break this down even more, but this is just setting up the message. Verse 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And here it is. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's like, I want you to get saved, but you refuse to come to me. That's what we just sang. Come down to the river. Come to Jesus. But he's like, you refuse to come to me so you can have life life. And Jesus has already made the claim. He said, I give life to people and I'm the source of eternal life. And he's going to make that claim again. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. He's making that declaration very clear. And he's telling these Pharisees, I want you to be saved, but you're rejecting me and you refuse to come to me because you don't want to have life. When you refuse me, you can't have life. And so today, I want to look at five reasons that keep people from coming to Jesus. Five reasons that keep people from coming to Jesus. Here's the first one. Here's the first reason that keeps people from coming to Jesus is this. Desiring to do what I want. The first reason is when we desire to do what I want, it will keep us from coming to Jesus. So Jesus says in verse 30, He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, "Um, I can't do anything on my own. Now, we saw this last week, too, in verse 19, when he says, I can't do anything in my own. And as I said last week, and I'm going to repeat it, Jesus is not saying that he can't do anything. He can't do anything physically. He can't do anything emotionally or mentally or or educationally. He's not saying that. He's saying what I'm saying is I am so close to the Father that me and God the Father are so intimately close. We are so united. I do nothing in my own accord. I do nothing out of what the Father's will is. That's what he says. He goes, I have not come to do my will, but only his will who, who, who sent me. He's like, man, I'm all about doing the will of the Father. I'm I'm not about just going off random and doing what I want, when I want, how I want. I'm not all just, well, this is what I want to do today. Because if you notice, he says, I hear and I judge. Now, he's not talking about when I hear people, I judge what they're saying. He's not saying that. He says, when I hear from the Father, I make a judgment. And that judgment is this. Doing what the Father wants is absolutely best. And I'm going to do that. And every day of Jesus' life and his ministry was all about doing the will of the Father. All the way up to the Garden of Eden, remember, or the, 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 the Garden of Gethsemane, the last words that Jesus spoke was what? Not my will be done, but yours. 
That was Jesus' whole life. I want to do what God wants me to do. Do you want to know what keeps people from Jesus? I want to do what I want. I want to live my way. I want to go where I want. I want to live how I want. I want to live life on my terms. It's my life. In fact, in the song, It's My Life by Bon Jovi. Everybody, everybody give me a thumbs up for 80s music. But Bon Jovi writes it this way. He says, it's my life. It's now or never. But I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. My heart is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. It's my life. Don't tell me what I can do and what I can't. I'm going to live how I want, when I want, where I want. I'm going to do what I want. And so the idea of saying God's will, how many of you know there is a battle of supremacy between people and God? We think we will win, but we won't, okay? God is always in control. God is always going to win. But we have this idea that we can become God. And God has to play on our terms. That we can bring God down and we can make God do what we want to do. The reality is that's not happening. What keeps people from Jesus is because, you know, Jesus wants all people to be saved. But is all people saved? No. Why? Because there are people who are like, because how many know the Bible says we are all sinners? The Bible makes it very clear. Every person has sinned, and our sin separates us from God for all eternity. And there's only one thing that can get us from where we are to God, and it is not what we do. The Bible says it's not by works that you are saved. It is nothing that you do that can save you. There's only one thing that saves us, us coming to Jesus by faith and surrendering my will and my life to him. People say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I think I can get to heaven on my own merit. I think I can get to heaven on my terms. I can get to heaven how I, how many of you know people say that? I, I think I've got a pretty good plan on how to get to heaven. Well, that plan's going to go sideways really fast because it doesn't get us there. The only way that we get to heaven is by surrendering our life to Christ and say, Jesus, that's why in the book of Romans says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess him as Lord, you'll be saved. Lordship. Lordship is, Jesus, you're in control. I'm not. Jesus, you're the boss. I'm not. Jesus, it's your way, not my way. What you want, not what I want. But what keeps people from Jesus is when we desire to do what we want. So the question is, is where are you at? Last week, I asked you some questions. I'm going to ask this question through these questions. What's your desire? To do what you want or to do what God wants? And if you want to only do what you want to do, it will keep you from Jesus. Here's the second thing. The second reason what keeps people from Jesus is this. Growing tired of hearing people witness. When I grow tired of hearing people witness, it will keep me from Jesus. Look at verses 31 through 35. 
Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Now, what does he mean there? Is he saying what I'm about to say is false? It's a lie? No. When he says what I'm about to say in my own, in my own testimony, it's not true because in Jewish time, in Jewish law, Jewish tradition, a single person's testimony about himself wasn't enough to be a witness in court. So in order to establish the witness of one person, he had to have the witness of two or three other people. Then you could establish that testimony. So Jesus is like, yeah, I've got my testimony, but I've got another one. And he's like, he, he sets it up. And he says, so my testimony about myself, by myself, it's not enough. So in verse 32, he says, there's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. What John is he talking about? John the Baptist. Okay? We see this in John chapter 1. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, and he's preaching. Okay? And, and Jesus says, you sent for John. You went out there. First, we know in the book of John, the Jewish uh, leaders sent a delegation out to John. But in the book of Matthew, the Pharisees themselves actually showed up. Because they're like, they've heard through the grapevine, man, there is some dude out in the wilderness. He, he's got like hardly no clothes on, just camel hair. And I've, I actually, I think I saw him eating some locusts. And, and he's like, he, he's just, he's preaching out there and, and something's going on. Because people are flocking to him. So the Pharisees were like, what's the hype about? Let's go see. And Jesus says, you sent, you went out there, and you saw what was going on. Now look at verse 35. And Jesus continued talking about John. He says, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You see, Jesus is like, man, John the Baptist was a light. He was a forerunner of me. Because if you go back to John chapter 1, John preached two messages. Repent. And the Lamb. That was it. And he was this light of, of forerunner of who Christ was, of, of, of bringing Jesus into the world. And, and the Pharisees go out to him, and they're listening to John. But notice what Jesus says there, in, right there um, at the end of verse 35. He says, you were willing to rejoice for a while. So their rejoicing came to an end. Their rejoicing about who John was dried up. They went out to John. They were all hyped up. They were all excited. But the enthusiasm waned. They grew tired of John. And the question is, is why did they rejoice in the light of John for a season of time? Why not for, like, in this conversation, Jesus is like, man, you guys are still rejoicing in John. But he's not. He's like, you rejoice for a while. I think two reasons um, their enthusiasm dried up, why they got tired of John. One is um, John called him out on the carpet, okay? In Matthew, when the Pharisees actually showed up, I'm just going to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 3, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees showed up to see John the Baptist, John says this about them. He looks at him, he says, you brood of vipers. <laughs> I love it when I show up at somebody's house and you brood of viper. Okay, they just call me a snake, you know, and they're like, they just go after me. 
He's like, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to turn these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that, the, that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. These Pharisees would have known exactly what John was saying because he was looking at them and he's like, you guys are hypocrites. You've got all your religion on the outside, but you don't know God. You are sinners. And he's like, I'm telling you, you're going to be thrown into the fire. And that would have made them very angry at John's preaching. So they got to the point where like, I'm done with John because nobody likes to be called out. I mean, you ever come to church and you feel like, Jim's talking right to me. Does that ever make you feel uncomfortable? I'm pretty sure these Pharisees got real uncomfortable when John's like, hey, brood of vipers. And he just unleashes on them. But I think here's the second reason why I think they grew tired of John's preaching was because he preached about the lamb. He kept saying, oh, by the way, this guy right here, he's the lamb of God. He's the savior of the world. And the Pharisees would have been like, what are you talking about? We know what the lamb is. That is not a lamb. We know what the lamb is and what the lamb is for. And that is not it. What you're saying, John, is wrong. And I think they would have got tired of it. But John only preached two messages. Repent. There's the lamb. Day two. Repent. There's the lamb. Day three, what do you think it was? Repent. Repent, there's the lamb. That's it. I really wish I had two messages and I could just call it a day. And I believe these Pharisees grew tired of John. And they rejoiced in his light for a while. And then we're done. People today are no different. We get tired of hearing people witness to us. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to witness to a family member or a coworker? And the moment you say Jesus, they're like, Dad, talk to the hand. I don't want to hear about Jesus any longer. Every time you and I get together, you got to talk about Jesus. I'm tired of Jesus. Do not say anything to me again about Jesus. You ever had anybody like that in your life? People are like that. They just get tired of hearing about people witnessing. You invite him to church on Easter or something like, no, no, I don't want to go because I already know I'm going to show up to church on Easter and your pastor is going to talk to me about Jesus on the cross. I don't want to hear it. And they won't go. You see, they won't come to Jesus because they are tired of hearing witnesses talk about him. But here's the thing. This idea about not coming to Jesus because I'm tired of hearing people witness isn't about just unbelievers. Can I tell you, believers get tired. Believers get tired of hearing the word preached. In fact, Paul writes it this way. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. Church is full of people like that, tired of hearing preaching, tired of hearing Jesus. In fact, a number of years ago, we had a woman come into this church, and she was coming for a season of time, and then she just stopped, and, and, and I started asking around, and I found out she got tired of the fact that we preached Jesus. 
We preached Jesus too much. And she left. Got tired of it. Can I tell you that there are people who just get tired of hearing the truth and hearing the, the, the word preached that, you know what, man, we just get so tired. We just, we just kind of like fall away. We just stop coming to church. We just, we, we're not plugged in anywhere. We, we stop doing anything. And we just aren't there. Doesn't mean I'm not a Christian, but you know what? I'm just not coming to Jesus right now because I'm just tired of hearing it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, you know what? I'm just going to do life right now. And I, I don't want it. That's the reality that's going through a lot of people right now. I'm just tired of church. Just tired of this. Can I tell you, there's a, there's a, a problem in, in the, not this church, but in the church. I would say young people, 18 to 30, 32, something is happening in them. And it's this thing called the deconstruction of faith. Where this generation, what they're doing is they're looking at everything. They're looking at the Bible. They're looking at church. They're looking at God. They're looking at Jesus. And they're evaluating it. And they're asking themselves, can we believe in this? They're looking at what you and I, you know, if you're in your 40s or 50s, you grew up going to church. It was just a thing. Or if you're older than me, you're just like, we just do it. Not this generation. They are deconstructing this thing. And they're coming up to a, they're coming to a place where they're like, hmm, I'm tired of it. And they're trying to like re, like, like reconstruction it. They're trying to create this thing in a way where they can manage it, where, where it makes sense, where they can handle it, where it's not, you know, I don't want my mom and dad's faith in me. I don't want that old faith. I want a new faith. And they're trying to rewrite it. They're trying to refigure it. They're trying to recreate it into something that it's not because they're tired of it. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of people not coming to Jesus, whether unbelievers or believers, because they're tired of this thing. And when we grow weary and tired, it'll keep you from coming to Jesus. So what about you? Are you tired? Are you tired of hearing the truth of, of who God is and who Jesus is? Are you tired of, if you're an unbeliever today, hearing, hey, you are a sinner, you need to be saved, and the only way that happens is through Jesus? Are you tired of hearing the truth of God's word, and you're just like, man, I really would just love to just stay home today? If you're tired, it'll keep you from Jesus. Here's the third thing. Third reason that keeps people from Jesus, not accepting the valid work of Jesus. Not accepting the valid work of Jesus. Look at verse 36. And Jesus says, The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John, Jesus is talking, he says to these Pharisees, The testimony that John gave was great, but mine is greater. The thing that John was doing was great, but I, what I'm going to do is even greater. And he's like, the works that I am going to accomplish is going to reveal my testimony that I am sent from God. He's like, you're not going to be able to deny, deny this thing. So the works that he's talking about is really two different kinds, of, two different works. One will be his miracles. Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle. In the book of John, we've already seen him turn water into wine. 
He got to a place where he was in the city of Jerusalem and says that people were amazed at the miracles that he was doing. It doesn't define what it was, but they were amazed at them. Here in John chapter 5, he heals a man who was crippled for 38 years. Next week when we get into John chapter 6, we're going to see Jesus feed the, the masses, the thousands of people with just a small little lunch. We know he's going to heal the blind, the eyes of blind people. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to do some amazing miracles. And the idea of these miracles were to get these Pharisees to go, holy cow, dude, you, you've got some, I can't do that. How in the world are you doing that? You must be from God. But here's the problem with miracles. <laughs> it's weird to say that the problem with miracles is this. Um, the miracles in themselves won't be enough. Because the Pharisees would be able to be like, dude, Elijah did the same thing. Elijah raised somebody from the dead. He, he, made, he made a little bit go a long way for the woman at Zarephath. Moses did some amazing miracles. So you doing this stuff doesn't prove anything. Because Moses and Elijah, they were from God, but they were men. And so are you. The real work that will prove he was from God will be his death and resurrection. That's the real work. Because when he dies, the Pharisees are going to realize, wow, we got rid of this guy. But what happens three days later? He boop, pops back up, and now he's walking out there, and people are seeing him. His, his followers, uh, it says that 500 other people, people out of the graves are coming up. Something took place. Jesus his work on the cross and his resurrection, his greatest work. Because no other person has done that. People, we know in the Bible that people were raised from the dead, but that was because someone did it. Nobody raised Jesus from the dead except God himself. And Jesus, when he came back from the grave and then he ascended, he proved, that's my work. That's how you know I'm from heaven. That's how you know God sent me. But yet people still reject it. Ah, Jesus was just another good teacher. He was just a, another religious leader. People reject the work on the cross. People refuse to believe that I am a sinner. And that, that the work that Jesus did on the cross, that he took the wrath of God. He took the sin of humanity. And he took the sin upon himself so that I can be the righteousness of God. Because he became sin. And But yet people are like, ah, nah, don't want it. Don't need it. Don't believe it. We reject the work of Christ. And when we no longer can accept the valid work of Jesus and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, it'll keep us from coming to him. Here's the fourth thing, the fourth reason that keeps people coming to Jesus, and it's this, being religious, which is worthless. Being religious is worthless because that will keep me from Jesus. Now, within that statement, maybe I offended some of you, and let me flush this out, okay? Because everybody, I'm religious, and how can you say my religion is worthless? Let me prove it to you, okay? So look at verses 37 through 40. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, The Father who sent me, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, 
His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word biting, abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. You see, the Pharisees really prided themselves in one fact, that they knew the Old Testament law. In fact, some of the Pharisees were, some of them were so intelligent that they could memorize the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Imagine that for them. Some of you are like, dude, I have a hard time just memorizing John 3.16. These guys could memorize whole books. And they, they prided themselves in that. They prided themselves in thinking, look at how religious I am. And they had this persona where people looked at them and were like, it's the Pharisees. And they, were, they, they, they really could just convince people they were so close to God that they knew exactly what was good for everybody. They, they, could, they fooled a lot of people except for one person, Jesus. And maybe John the Baptist. But Jesus knew. He, he, he's like, you know what? You, you, you may have a lot of religion on the outside. You may know and have a lot of knowledge of the law. But you don't know God. You don't know his voice. You have never seen him. And in fact, if you go down a couple more verses, he even says that the love of, the God, of the love of God is not even in you. Jesus nailed, I mean, hit the nail right on the head. He's like, I'm not going to fool around right now. He goes, you think your religion is going to save you? It's worthless. Your religion, you see, they had a religion about God, but they did not have a relationship with God. That's a big difference. They knew a lot about God. They had a lot of knowledge of God, but they did not know God. Because that's what Jesus says. He's like, you don't, need, you don't hear his voice. You've never seen him. You don't know him. Because his word is not even in you. It's in your head, but it's not transformed your heart. He's like, because if you really knew what the word said, if you knew the Old Testament and what it said, you would know what I'm saying right now. And you would have already accepted me. Because it says and testifies about me. And Jesus is like, man, you, you, your religion's worthless. It's not going to save you. Another person in the Bible in the New Testament that proves this and shows us that religion of itself is worthless is, is the Apostle Paul. Before Paul got saved, before he came to Jesus, he, he was a Pharisee and he was zealous about being a Pharisee to the point where he persecuted the church. And in the book of Galatians and the book of Philippians, he even tells us how zealous he was. In Galatians chapter 1, he says this, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He's like, man, I was, as a Pharisee, he was like, I was so young. I mean, it's kind of like if you could think of, like, they all started, like, in the same class at the same age. And Paul's like, man, I was up here. I was, I was in the top grade. I was in the top class, and all my other people were way down here. I was in this thing. And he goes, and then all the traditions of my fathers, all the, the law, I was so zealous for all that stuff. I was getting after it. He's like, that's who I was. 
In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he even tells some more about himself. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's just saying, here's my background. If you want to know where I come from, here it is. He says, as far as the law, the Old Testament, he says, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul was like, man, I was so fired up. I was so good. I was like, perfect. And that's the resume Paul had until he came to Jesus. When Paul got saved, he realized one thing, and he tried to tell the churches this. Everything that I was meant nothing because of Jesus. And in fact, in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 7, after he says who he was in Philippians 3, 4, in verse 7 of chapter 3, he says this, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through Christ. Paul's like, everything that I was, everything that I accomplished, everything that I knew, all my religion, all my knowledge, everything was rubbish. Worthless meant nothing when compared to Christ. He goes, when I compare what I have in Jesus and the faith that I have, my faith, my salvation didn't come because I was a Pharisee. My salvation didn't come because I persecuted the church. My salvation doesn't happen because I had a zeal for the law. My, my, my um, salvation doesn't happen because I was so work-oriented. My salvation doesn't come because I was religious. None of that saved me. Only one thing did, Jesus Christ. He goes, when I put my faith in him, my life changed. That saved me. Everything else, worthless. But yet, how many people today sit there and go, my religion will save me? How many people will sit there and put their faith in a certain, because they belong to a certain denomination or a particular church? You ever talk to someone and go, my, 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 my family's belonged to this church since eighteen hundred. And, and, and you know what? Salvation, we've all, they put their faith in a church because that's where my family's always gone. How many people put their um, faith in and, and, and the religion in the traditions of a church? Both Mormonism and Catholics have this one, they, 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 they have this statement, worded a little bit differently, but it's all the same thing, that their traditions are equal to or supersede the Bible. So what that says is, well, we have the Bible, but a pope said this, and that's a tradition. So if he said it, that is what, that's what we go by. Or we have all these traditions in our church. We have these books of the church. Yeah, we have the Bible, but we also have this book. And what the book says, that's what we go by. 
And people are putting their faith and their trust in a book outside the word of God. And so we're putting our faith in religion thinking that will save me. And it doesn't. Religion's worthless. You coming to church and getting your gold star because you never missed a Sunday in 10 years will not save you. You being active in service projects four days a week for life will not save you. Does it make you look religious? Absolutely. The Pharisees looked religious. But Jesus says this to them in Matthew chapter 23. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and are all with all uncleanliness. So also outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, we can look religious and we can be religious and we can do religion, but religion in itself will not save me. Religion makes me look religious. Religion makes me look spiritual. But, to heart, but the heart of God knows, listen, you may look religious, but your heart is still dead. You do all the religious deeds and put on all the religious activities, but you are still spiritually dead because we're putting our faith and hope in religion and not Jesus. And when people choose religion and think being religious will save me, it will keep me from Jesus. And then lastly, the last reason that keeps people from Jesus and is this, trusting the word of man over the word of God. Trusting the word of man over the word of God. In verse 41, Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the, from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe, believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So to sum all that up, Jesus is saying this. He's like, I'm speaking truth to you. I'm telling you who I am and where I'm from and what I can do, but you're not believing me. But yet, when Joe Bag of Donuts comes up and starts talking to you about something, you believe him right away. You won't accept me. You're not accepting the words I'm saying to you. You're not accepting what I'm telling you. But when he comes up and says something and you think it sounds great, you accept what he says immediately. And he goes, then it's all wrong. He goes, you, he goes you, 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 you believe Moses. You think Moses is the guy. You put your trust in Moses because of what Moses did for us as a people. But if you truly knew who Moses was and what Moses said, you would know Moses already had spoken about me. If you go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, you'll see that. Moses says, hey, by the way, one day there's going to be a prophet raised up from my own people. And he will be commanded what to say and you'll listen to him. Jesus is saying, you will listen to the word of a man, but you won't listen to me. And he's like, if you won't listen to me, how can you really have life? 
Don't we do that today? We listen to what people say, and we think, wow, they're pretty wise, they're pretty smart, maybe they're right. I mean, don't we uh, say things like this? You know, we, People will say, it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you have faith and are sincere in something. People will say that all good people go to heaven. You'll hear people say that all religions are good and correct, just different paths that lead to the same God. And people will say, well, God is love, so obviously all people will be in heaven. Those are sincere statements, and they sound right. But here's the truth. They are sincerely wrong. But yet, don't we listen to people who say that? I mean, if a Hollywood star says it, it's got to be right. If, someone on, if, if one of the anchors on Good Morning America says it, it's got to be correct. Because they know. They're popular. They're rich. They're famous. They're, they're intellectual. They're, they're saying smart things. So what they say about God has got to be right. But what are they basing their statements on? Human wisdom. Human belief. Well, this is what I think. Have you ever heard anybody say that? You say something about the Bible and they go, well, here's what I think. Here's what I believe. Can I tell you, and I'm going to say this as politely as I can, it doesn't matter what you think or believe if it's based on what you think or believe. If your thinking, your believing is based on anything other than God's word and what Jesus says, it's, it's meaningless. Because all you're doing is basing what you think and what you believe on what people said. Worldly standards, what you think and believe, which is so wrong. Jesus says, it's my words. You've got to believe my words. That's the choice you and I have. And when I choose the words of man over the words of God, guess what it's going to do? Keep me from Jesus. So the question you've got to ask and answer, who do you believe? Do you believe the words of man or the word of God? And I can't cause you to believe. Jesus spoke truth to these Pharisees because he wanted them saved. He wanted to see their lives changed and transformed. But the reality is they refused to believe him. They refused to come to him. They refused to accept what he was saying. And guess what? I have preached the truth. I have laid it before you. What are you going to do with it? Only you can make a choice. Am I going to come to Jesus or am I not? Or is one of these reasons keeping you from Jesus? My prayer is that if you don't know Christ today, you would come to that place where you're like, you know what, I've, I've listened to people. I've listened to what, what famous people have said. I've listened to coworkers. I've listened to my friends. And they all keep saying kind of the same thing. It doesn't matter what I believe. Everybody, everybody who, all good people are going to heaven. And I think I'm okay. Or I think I need to finally believe what Jesus says. Trust his word. And maybe as a believer, you know, you've just kind of grown tired. And man, I'm just, I'm just kind of done. It's keeping you from Jesus. And maybe today you just need to come to that place where you're just like, okay, you know what? 
There's, I got a lot of questions, and I don't have all the answers. But Jesus, I know you, 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 you are who you said you are, and I know you love me. I'm going to stay in the game. I'm just going to keep pushing forward. I'm just going to keep believing you. I'm going to keep trusting you, letting you do what you need to do, and just recommit and just say, Jesus, coming back to you. So if you would, just bow your heads with me. Worship team, if you'd come up and just get ready to close us out. Maybe this morning you just need to be real about where you are and whether you need to come to Jesus moment. And maybe for you this morning is you're not a believer. And maybe this morning it's that I need to come to Jesus and have that moment where you're like, I, I'm, I'm lost, I'm, I'm a sinner, and Jesus, I need you. Or maybe today you're a believer and you've just, you've been wandering. Maybe just going through the, you know, you're, you're just like, I'm just kind of just trying to be religious, but man, my heart just feels, feels lost, feels distant. And maybe this morning you just need to come to Jesus in that moment and say, Jesus, man, I just need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my wandering. Bring me back, Jesus, because that's where I need to be. So as I pray, I just pray, examine your heart wherever you're at. And today, if you, if you don't know Jesus, I would just, even out in the foyer, just come up to me and say, Jim, pray with me. I, I, need, to, I need to come to Jesus. So as I'm praying, I just, just examine your heart and just, just pray to yourself wherever you are with God. So Father, we thank you that you love us and you sent Jesus for us and and you offer things that, that, Lord, this world can't provide. And living water that can give us life to the soul. But, Lord, you require us to come. And I would just pray for everyone here, Lord. May if there be anyone in here who has never come to know Christ as their Savior, that they would come. Come to that place where they'd accept that they are sinner. Accept that they are lost and and they will be separated from you because of their sin and would come to that place where they would believe that Jesus died on that cross and confess him, surrender their life to you because, Lord, when we do what we want, it will keep us from you. And, Lord, just help us all just to come to that place where we just see our own sin, see our own, maybe our own tiredness, weariness, and that, Lord, we would just commit and recommit just back to you. May you would just be Lord again. So, Father, we do praise you and just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all stand and close?